0: Christian who says, I expect to sin every day of my life, and he says it with unmoved carelessness, is living in
1: shocking guilt before God. He is living, committing treason against the Most High. You really
0: expect to be a traitor to Jesus every day of your life? You expect to crucify him afresh each day? To put him day by day to open shame? Each day to dishonor his name and grieve his heart? And to bring sorrow and shame upon all who love the cause of Christ, and yet you have the foolish boldness to say that you have good
1: hope through grace by the blood of Jesus? Every true Christian says, do not let me live.
0: Do not let me live at all if I cannot live without sin for how can I bear to go on day by day sinning against Jesus,
1: whom I love so much? Those who those who live in their
0: sin every day are either ignorant of what the true gospel says, or they're just refusing to repent,
1: and do not care to be delivered from their sins because they love them.
0: Now, there are two very distinct views of salvation that are constantly entertained today among professed
1: Christians.
0: Two distinct classes of Christians. Often, they're within the same church. The one class regards the gospel as a salvation from sin. They, they think more of this and value it more
1: than their hope in heaven, than any other hope. The
0: great thing with them is realizing the idea of complete deliverance from their sin. They do not choose to be an enemy of God. They recognize that in Romans, the eighth chapter, it says that a man who walks in
1: sin is an enemy of God. This first class of Christians seek more than anything else to be saved from hell. They care by far the most about being saved from their sin. They think and pray. They search after God. They walk in peace and joy. They walk clean before God. They labor to know the fullness of Jesus. Well, the other class,
0: yes, they want to be delivered from hell. The punishment due for their sin is a thing that they are very afraid of. A man said to me just this last week, what I fear more than anything else is that I'll be cast into hell.
1: In fact, fear has been mainly the spring of the the man I just spoke of. It's been fear that he'll be cast into hell. The gospel
0: is not thought of as a, a means of deliverance from sin, but as a great system of indulgences, a vast accommodation to take off the fear and danger of damnation while yet it leaves them in their sin. Now here I do not by any means imply that they will call their system of gospel faith a scheme of indulgences. The name will doubtless be offensive if you believe this. They have not distinctly considered this point, and they have failed to notice that in fact... Their religion is nothing but a system of indulgences. They seem not to notice that a scheme of salvation that removes the fear of damnation for sin and yet leaves them in their sin to live for themselves, to please themselves, and which holds that Christ will at last bring them to heaven, notwithstanding their having lived in sin all of of their days, is literally a vast system of indulgences. Indeed, It is a compromise of a magnificent scale by virtue of that the whole church is expected to wallow on and sin through life and be nonetheless sure of heaven on that last day. These opposite views are so prevalent. You see them everywhere among the churches of today. You will find many in the church who are altogether worldly and selfish, who live conformed to the world in the neglects of duty, who expect to indulge themselves in sin, more or less, all the way through life. You may ask them, do you think that it's right? And they'll answer, no. And I've done this many times. I've said, are you right with Jesus? And they'll say, no.
1: Are you walking in sin? Yes. And you say, well,
0: why? The blood of Jesus can deliver you from your sin. And they answer, oh, we're all imperfect. You can't expect to be any better than imperfect while you're here in the flesh. Yet they expect to be saved at last from hell and to have all of their sins forgiven. But how? not on the condition of sincerely turning away from all their sins, but on the assumption that the gospel is a vast system of indulgences, more vast by far than Pope Leo X ever weighed
1: and worked to comfort sinning professors professors in his day. Here they're not just sinning occasionally as they did with Pope Leo X.
0: But they live in sin today and expect that they shall live in sin as long as they shall live. And yet they expect to be saved without fail. Now the other class of professed Christians have no expectation of being saved except that they have a pure heart and live above the world talk to them about living in sin, and they hate and dread the very thought of it. To them, sin is poison. Sin is bitter to their souls. They dread it as they dread death itself. No one could go around and speak to Christians today without finding these two very different classes.
1: One class is in agony if they find themselves even beginning to
0: slip. They especially are cautious as not to expose themselves to temptation. Not so with the other class. There are two ministries of the gospel together. Two ministers were together. One urged the other strongly to engage in a certain kind of service. The other declined, saying, I can't do that. Well, why not, asked the first, because I do not think myself justified in exposing myself to so much temptation. But why stop for that? We expect sin to rule over our life more or less always and to have to repent afterward. The other was horse-smitten and said, I hold to a different gospel from that altogether. So suppose a wife should say to her husband, I'm determined I will go to this club. But my dear, he says, you know, the people who congregate there are wicked people. And you will be tempted if you go there. But she replies, it doesn't matter if I sin. I'll repent afterwards and I'll say, I'm sorry to you.
1: The real Christian may be known by this. that the very thought of being drawn into
0: sin drives him to agony. He cannot bear the idea of living in sin, not even for one moment. He hates sin. He has been deeply wounded by sin in his heart and his life. And now Jesus has come and rescued him and broken the power of sin over his life and he doesn't want to go back to that wickedness, to that
1: emptiness, to that shame. He wants to walk in Jesus. When a Christian goes on vacation, he has to be on guard. Guard lest he be
0: ensnared in sin. Vacation is a time of great difficulty. As the holidays come upon our nation, there's great danger of suddenly feeling the freedom to give way and just have that drink and go to that place of darkness. Associate with people of extreme sin in the
1: family and and be snared, trying to be pleasing and keep the peace, and so
0: sit down and watch the vilest kinds of movies.
1: Go to the theater and watch the violence. Now, we have no
0: need of fear to go to that place where God calls us to go to testify and to witness and to love those who are ensnared in sin. But we do not want to be wounded by the arrows of sin striking our soul. And so those of us who have renounced sin in our life go abroad into the apparent danger, walking softly and with
1: caution and with much prayer. We cannot just thrust ourselves into the wicked violence of
0: the video games of our day. We cannot just casually sit down and participate in the things of darkness because it's a holiday season. Instead, we are to be very much on guard.
1: You cannot say, oh, if I sin, I'll repent. You'll repent, will you? And
0: this will quickly make it all right again so easily?
1: Suppose you see that on this vacation you'll probably end up getting
0: drunk a few times. Maybe you'll commit a murder. Would you say, oh, I'm a good Christian notwithstanding but I'll be careful to repent of it
1: as soon as I finished murdering that man. No, you would never say that. Horrible. And yet you can think yourself a good Christian, walking in the vileness of
0: this world, filled with anger and bitterness, filled with darkness, casually walking through life, enjoying whatever you choose, eating whatever you choose, going wherever you choose. Please let me tell you very, very boldly. A Christian man who repents of sin, repents of it as sin. He makes no discrimination as between a little secret sin and a great sin. He knows no distinction between sins and allows, that allows him to commit the one class without scruple and shrink from the other. With him, anything that grieves God is a horrible thing. Anything that displeases God makes him cry out,
1: because God will see it, and it will grieve his heart. How do we even begin to talk about this? The unbelief of the church regarding what they may receive from
0: Christ in spite of their sin as a, a stumbling block. It hinders themselves and others from experiencing deliverance. Not only is this a great curse to profess Christians but it's also a great grief to Jesus Christ and a sore trial for Him. Many of you have hardened your hearts against all expectation of complete deliverance from sin. You've heard this wicked doctrine preached in the mellowest tones. As the one preacher, very famous national preacher, said, Once you're in the family, you're always in the family of God. You you can never sin enough to cause Jesus
1: to dismiss you from your salvation. What is Christ to the believer? What was his errand? What was his work that he came into the world? To achieve? What is he doing right now? What's he trying to do right now? The
0: answer is very simple. He came to destroy the work of the devil. That's what the scriptures say. He came to destroy the work of the devil. He has come to break the power of sin in your heart and to be the life flow of your spirit, working in you a perpetual salvation from sin, aiming to bring you thus, and only thus, into heaven. What is faith? What but the actual giving of yourself up to Jesus Christ, that he may do this work for you and in you. It is a work done by faith. It is not legalism it is utterly and totally
1: and completely the work of Jesus that he will do in our hearts. What are you to believe of Jesus Christ if it is not this,
0: that he is to save his people from their sins? Does the Bible tell you to expect something different and less than this? The fact is that it has been a great stumbling block to the church that this thing has not been well understood. The common experience of nominal Christians has misrepresented the truth of the Scriptures. The masses forming their view much more from this experience than from the Bible.
1: It is a false belief. when Christians do not expect this blessing of the removal
0: of sin from their life, when Christians do not expect this blessing from Jesus, they will not receive it. They expect so little. Is it any wonder they receive so little? Everything
1: is according to their faith and not beyond their faith. Is it any wonder, then, that men and women who are in the church,
0: believing they can continue to walk in their sin, have no power? The church today is powerless in the face of the wickedness of this world because the gospel we have much proclaimed that only your sins are pardoned but not removed. This wicked teaching of the church has destroyed the American church. It is a false gospel, and we are reaping the whirlwind of enmity against God in America because of this lie that has been proclaimed from the pulpits of America, from
1: the radio and television broadcasts. And so we have enmity, we have hatred in our hearts
0: because we dwell in sin. Sin creates animosity for God. It is only with the removal of sin from our hearts that the power of the gospel begins to flow in us and bring the full peace of Jesus. Any Peace that comes to your heart that has not removed sin from your life is a false peace. It is not of Jesus. It is of darkness. It is
1: a system of indulgences. Pope Leo X,
0: you could pay so much money and you could buy your indulgence and you could then enter heaven when you died. today we don't even have to pay money for the indulgence. We can just say Jesus paid it all at the cross, and I'm saved. In the midst of my sin, all of my sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. I'm free. What a wicked indulgence. Is that foolishness? No, Jesus wants a man to leave his enmity. He wants a man to leave his hatred of God.
1: We serve a God who is righteous, who is just, who is holy.
0: We serve a God who wants to make us righteous and just
1: and holy. So what shall we do with this anger against God and
0: powerlessness to resist sin?
1: Powerless
0: to to reach out and touch the life of another. Powerless to see a man transformed and leave his wickedness and become a righteous man. It's all about righteousness. Jesus is all about righteousness. He's not about sentimentality. He's not about how you feel. He's about making you righteous, delivering you by forgiving and pardoning all of your sin, but then also at the same time justifying you, making you righteous. This wicked message that says the entire gospel is based on imputation. No, the entire gospel is based on impartation. It's not a system of indulgences, it's not a fictional release. Jesus forgives our sins and releases us from our sins, and transforms us and makes us into a new creature. If he doesn't
1: do that,
0: what's the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus did not die on Calvary to simply say, your sins are forgiven.
1: God could have simply decreed, I will forgive you for your sin.
0: He could have simply forgiven us. He didn't need to just die to forgive us. He could have, by a decree of his government, said, I am giving you a full pardon. Don't we have that today in our legal system? Can't the president pardon a person in America? Of course he can. Every year, around this time, president will issue
1: pardons and before he leaves office he'll give a whole list of pardons to criminals but you see it's not just about pardoning our sin
0: it's about justifying us and making us righteous it's about transforming our lives It's only by the power of the blood that a man's life can be totally changed and transformed and made into a new creature. It's only by going to the cross with Jesus Christ and being crucified, letting the law put to death our life because the law so clearly lays out our offenses against the Almighty. How could Jesus just forgive us our sins and then take us into the kingdom of God? We would soon have hell on earth. Heaven would soon be no better than earth is. No, he's not going to take a person who is unclean into his heaven. He's not going to take a person who's not been transformed into his likeness. And now many of these people who believe in the indulgent system will say, oh, when I die, I'm changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. No, that has reference to changing this physical body into a spiritual body. But the character is the same. When you receive your new body, you don't receive a new character your last day on earth and your first day in heaven, you will be the same person, just a different
1: body. So what are you going to do with Jesus? We must become... one with Jesus Christ and cast off the world. The flesh and the devil. We cannot
0: walk in enmity against Jesus with the sin of our heart and expect that somehow we are going to be changed at the time of death. Death is not my Savior.
1: Jesus is my Savior. Romans 8, verse 13.
0: For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. There's nothing here about a profession of faith in Jesus Christ that allows him to forgive your past sins and allow you to continue to walk in your sin. That is no gospel at all.
1: And some of you have tried so hard in the flesh to overcome your sin.
0: You have cried out to Jesus. You have wept over your sin.
1: You have sought to cast sin out of your life. And you have been unsuccessful.
0: Some of you have tried to turn away from the sin of your heart. And then the next time you cry out again for repentance and to cast out the sin of your heart. And the next time you cry out repentance and deliverance from the sin of your heart until finally you settle into the the reality that you're never going to lose the sin of your heart. You're going to always live at enmity with God. But you have this foolish hope that somehow when you die, you're going to be changed and made holy. What a
1: fiction. What a deadly, what a deadly, wicked fiction. You no, know, you see. The law was given to us to teach us that this sin that we keep getting caught in, we must die.
0: The only deliverance from sin is death to the law. It's referred to in Scripture as being born from above by Jesus. It's referred to as take up your cross and follow me
1: headed to Golgotha. It is referred to as crucifixion. It is this absolute giving up of my life to Jesus Christ. And now you're going to actively
0: have to go back and rebuild what is destroyed, because when you are crucified with christ the life of sin is destroyed it is finished it is done and now you're going to have to actively go back if you're going to walk back into sin you've got to go back and rebuild what the holy spirit destroyed and i have spoken with men who have done this and with women They now walk back in their sin, and it is much more difficult this time
1: than it was the first time to get rid of that sin. Because now Jesus wants to know, can I trust you?
0: Are you going to walk back into it if I break its power by my spirit, by my blood? Some of you listening today have gone back and you have rebuilt what was destroyed when you became a Christian. And the call of Jesus on your heart is to get on your face before him and stay there in repentance and weeping until you Receive the assurance of the Holy Spirit that this sin is utterly broken
1: in your heart. And He will do it. There is no bondage, there is no sin that cannot be broken
0: by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I, for one, will simply testify before you today. The greatest fear of my heart is not of being cast into hell. The greatest fear of my heart is that I will somehow sin against Jesus, that I will cause him to withdraw from me, that I will grieve his spirit so that I must walk alone again in this wicked world. I find the peace and joy and comfort of Jesus is the most awesome and wonderful thing that's ever happened in my life.
1: His presence, his power. It is awesome. I've been speaking to you about This man, King Saul, who had these wonderful
0: things done for him. Signs, every outward sign to convince him that he could trust God with his heart and with his life. But he was unwilling to do that. Instead, he looked at the circumstances about his heart and he would not He would not hold steady to what God told him. He was told to wait, and that Samuel would come and offer the burnt offering and the thank offering, and that Samuel would tell him exactly what to do with regard to the Philistines who had a huge, perhaps even a million-man army coming to once and for
1: all wipe out Israel. And this man, Saul, has been made king.
0: But he is taking it as something that personally belongs to him. He does not trust the God of heaven. There is anger and enmity. There is hatred toward the God of heaven in his heart because God he sees in competition with his own power and his own reputation, his own freedom. And so he makes his own judgment, and he offers the sacrifices because he thinks that that's the best course of action. I always get in trouble with Jesus when I begin to reach out and do what I think I need to do because God is silent and not answering my prayer. When God does not answer my prayer, it's a sure sign that I need to get quiet before him. And I need to consider what I have done and what I have said and what my plans are. And I need to go back and make certain that I am totally washed and clean before him and that I have not in any way grieved his Holy Spirit.
1: And then I am to wait upon him for direction. First Samuel, thirteenth chapter. Verse twelve, he says, I thought.
0: Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. He takes this very personally. Now the Philistines will come down against me. No, against God's people. The Philistines will come down against
1: God, not me. So he says, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings,
0: thus violating the type and anti-type of Jesus. And Samuel simply says, you acted foolishly. This is a new king. He's going to rule Israel for 40 years, and we are going to see step by step in Saul's life how he turned to himself, and turned away from the God of heaven in spite of seeing all of the signs and wonders, in spite of the Holy Spirit coming into his heart and totally changing him and making him into a new man, he chooses to reject that. Many of you have chosen to reject the way of the cross. You call yourself a Christian, but you're free to walk in your sin. You are casual and indifferent. There is coldness in your heart. You are not on fire for Jesus. You're more concerned about yourself, your money,
1: your prestige, your ambition, your dreams. And it grieves the heart of God. And it robs you of all power. So that your testimony is empty. There's nothing fresh and new.
0: I often ask brothers and sisters that I know to be Christian, what is Jesus saying to you? And they don't know how to answer the question. What has Jesus said to you today? What are his instructions for you today? And they act like I'm asking them a foreign question.
1: Because many are several months' travel away from Jesus how
0: close are you to Jesus today? How long would it take you to receive an answer from heaven if you began today searching after Jesus to get an answer?
1: How long before he would answer? A month? Six months? you would have to deal first with your sin. He's not going to answer
0: until he deals with your sin, your wickedness your anger at him, your enmity, your hatred for him, and your love for yourself, and your agenda,
1: and what you want. I keep struggling with a young man because he wants to do what he wants. But he wants God to bless him in business. And he wants God to bless him with a wife. So he'll do a few things that he believes he needs to do to get God's favor in
0: order that he can receive the blessings he desires. Quid pro quo.
1: You do this, I'll do that. Let's make an agreement, God. I won't go to the club.
0: I won't go to the massage, erotic massage parlor. I won't do this and I won't do that but this is what you have to do for me, God. If I'm going
1: to do that for you, then you have to do this for me. This was Saul's heart. He only wanted what he wanted so that he could have the life he dreamed of. Samuel said, You have not kept the command of the Lord your God.
0: If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of the people. There are consequences for our sin. This man was now going to rule Israel for the next 40 years, fighting in war and battle, freeing the nation, establishing the geographic boundaries for this nation, driving the enemy back, taking back the land that God had promised Abraham. But he was going to do so with a certain knowledge that he did not have the blessing of God. He was going to have to do it with the certainty that when he died, his life
1: was over and there would be no future life because he would not obey the word of the Lord. There is a consequence for your sin. Sin
0: destroys your life and grieves the heart of God and causes him to withdraw from you. And many of your lives, as you listen today, you will recognize have been a drama of the absence of God from your heart. You have a religious experience. You may even go to church. You may call yourself a spiritual person, but you do not have the presence and blessing of Jesus upon you
1: because you have refused to keep the command of the Lord and leave your sins.
0: And so you are powerless. Your prayers are not answered, and so you only pray formally. Or you pray with quick prayers shot at heaven for a parking place or some other thing, but you have
1: no real relationship with Jesus Christ. And Samuel leaves. No. consider the circumstance of Samuel's
0: leaving. There's a million-man army or a very large army ready to sweep over Israel. He is giving the king of Israel no direction from God. He is
1: leaving him totally to himself with 600 men. That's all that remain. What will Saul do and what will God do? Well, God
0: bypasses him. I can tell you there is nothing more heartbreaking to me than to see God bypass a church. I constantly say, O oh, Jesus, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I will wait upon you, Jesus, I will trust you and I will obey you. I will not walk casually before you. The greatest desire of my heart is that I be sanctified, made righteous. Walk in accord with your spirit. I'm immature. I'm the least of all of God's people. I'm nobody. But my heart cries out for Jesus and his presence comes and reassures me and gives me specific direction regarding what I'm to do and what steps I'm to take. I don't know what I would do with the National Prayer Chapel if I did not have the promises of God regarding revival coming to America. I don't know how I could live without the certainty of God's word being fulfilled in my life. I trust him. I rely upon him. God simply moved past King
1: Saul and went to his son, Jonathan.
0: Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he's one of two who has a sword. Everybody else is carrying hoes and sickles, clubs against a well-armed, a well-equipped, great army. And Jonathan is prompted by the Spirit to say, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side.
1: Let's not tell Dad. So they went over. He said, come,
0: let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He has absolute confidence in the God of heaven. He is utterly unconcerned about himself. His only thought is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of heaven. That's all his heart is interested in. I praise God for Jonathan. He says, if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given the Philistines into our hands. They show themselves, and the Philistines shout down to Jonathan, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan and his armor-bearer begin to climb up that steep cliff face. And as they come into the field of battle, being taunted by this vast
1: army, the Philistines begin to fall before Jonathan. They overcome some 20 professional soldiers
0: not in their strength, but in the strength of the God of heaven and earth. And then suddenly a panic strikes the whole army, those in the camp and the field, those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shakes under their feet. It was a panic sent by God, the scriptures say. I'm asking God to make the ground of America shake that he will send a panic upon this nation, that he will arouse this nation to its concern, its sin, its wickedness, and cause a great revival to come. I pray for Washington, D.C., and I pray for our leaders. I pray that Barack Obama will fall on his face and repent of his wickedness. I pray that the Congress will fall on its face. The Supreme Court will fall on its face at a great
1: panic sent by God. That they will repent. The Lord rescued Israel that day. He rescued them by causing the Philistine army to turn
0: in upon itself and to cannibalize itself. Philistine soldiers turned with their weapons of war on their fellow Philistines and they killed each other until there wasn't a Philistine left standing. It was an incredible battle but it was a battle won by the Lord for the nation of Israel. Do you think that this God of heaven who is so mighty, who is so powerful that he can defeat this great
1: army, do you think that this God of heaven cannot defeat the sin of your life? The only reason that God
0: could possibly have for not saving you from your sin is that you have hatred in your heart against him, even as King Saul did, where you see him as a competitor, where you see him as wanting to do something in your heart, and you say, no, I want to keep my life. I love my sin. I love the way I enjoy the things of darkness. I'm not going to surrender them to Jesus. I'm
1: going to maintain my life.
0: And then you will be like King Saul, and there will be no great shaking of the ground, and there will be no revival in your heart or in your life, and you will finally live, whether 40 years, whatever it is, you will live without the blessing of God and without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without the anointing of God in your heart, You will live in your sin, and you will believe the indulgence that you can walk in your sin and still be saved, and in the end you will be lost,
1: even as King Saul was lost. My brother, my sister, it's time to
0: repent and get right with Jesus. It's time to allow the Spirit of the living God by the blood of Jesus to remove all sin from your heart, to cause you to be sanctified, to cause you to walk holy before him, to be wholly sanctified through and through.
1: This mighty God of heaven who died on Calvary's tree loves you. It was
0: not his intention to simply forgive you for your sin. It was his intention to remove your hatred from your heart. To remove all animosity between you and him. To change you into his likeness. To make you into a new creature.
1: By his precious blood as a gift of grace. Almighty God,
0: I plead with you today for my brothers and sisters. I plead with you for the nation of America. I plead with you to come and transform us into your likeness. Yes, I plead that all sin would be wiped away and forgiven, but I also plead that all sin would be broken of its power and your people would be gloriously set free and delivered and walk in victory. Lord, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage. It's being completely reconstructed. NationalPrayerChapel.com You'll find today's video there. You'll find podcasts. You'll find last Sunday's sermon. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Jesus. I pray for you every day. I'll talk to you soon. of his glory.